If you would, open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28, we're continuing the series here. Uh, This is us, the beginning. So Genesis 28, and we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 22. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. This stone, which I have set up as a pillar, will be God's house and of all that you give me, I will surely give you a tenth. If, if by this point in your reading of Genesis, you have come to not like Jacob, I'm in the same boat as you. Uh, hearing Pastor Mark's sermon last week and, and reading that portion of Scripture and seeing what Jacob has done to his own brother, what he's done to his own father, the selfishness that he's had, uh, seeking to take away from his family all for his own gain, I don't like it. And I don't know about you, but I read Jacob, I read this story, and up to chapter 28, 29, 30, 31, it's, it's a few chapters. It, it doesn't get a whole lot. It gets a little better, and we'll talk a, about that today. But at this point in my reading, I sit back, and I think, God, what were you thinking? Choosing Jacob as your patriarch? There could have been anybody else. And you chose this guy that dressed up as his brother and tricked his own father into receiving a blessing? Somebody who, when his brother came in starving to death, he, he wouldn't give him food. Instead, he made his brother trade over all of his inheritance so that he could live and have a bowl of soup? I'm thinking, I, I've got a sister and. You know, we've got a really good relationship, but there's times we fight. 
There's times we don't get along, and in none of those situations, if she were starving to death, would I say, okay, Charity, I'll help you out, but you got to give me the deed to your house, ownership of everything in your household, and when mom and dad pass away, I want everything they own as well. Hand it over. It, you know, that, that is pure selfishness. That is not godly living. And here we have Jacob descended from Isaac and Abraham, two great patriarchs of the faith. And as, as you'll find, we're not the only ones thinking that way. Isaac, his own father, is thinking that way. Because when we get into chapter 28, Isaac sees that Jacob needs a wife. He sees that, that Jacob needs a wife he needs to have kids. They need to have descendants. And so he sends Jacob away. Now, notice how Isaac sends his own son away. He sends him out without riches. He sends him out without a servant. He sends him out all alone to go find for himself a bride. And then he sends him almost as far away as you could imagine. You look at the map of where he possibly sent Jacob on the journey, it's like at the very tip of where you see green on the map, you know, and he has to go through desert, he has to travel all of that way. This is very much an exile that Jacob is going through, because look at how Isaac got a wife. Do you remember that story back a few chapters? Abraham saw that Isaac needed a wife, and he didn't send Isaac to find himself a wife, he sent a servant. And he didn't send a servant without nothing. He sent him with camels. He sent him with treasures. And he said, you give, if, if you find a wife for my son, you give him everything we own and, and bring her back. Isaac didn't have to do anything for his spouse. He just sat at home waiting for her. And now Isaac has the opportunity to do the same for his son. Send a servant out, send him out with riches, have Jacob stay there, but no, he sends Jacob out without anything, without anybody. So when he sends Jacob out, you have to understand, this is very much an exile. This is, this is part of like almost a witness protection program as well, because Esau has vowed he's going to kill Jacob. And now Isaac has a real problem on his hands, and so he said, basically, basically he says, Jacob, just leave. Just go. You have done enough damage in this household. You have hurt your brother. You have hurt the way we're functioning as a family. Go. You need a wife anyway. Go find a wife. When you find a wife, you can come back to us. So keep that in mind. Jacob is being sent out in exile. And it's very much... It's very much a punishment for what he's done within the family. Well, then he gets to the location that he's supposed to go to. So he's at his uncle's house, Laban, and, and this is found in chapter 29. He goes there, he sees Rachel, and it's just it's love at first sight. The Bible says that she had, she had beautiful, strong eyes. He, he saw her, and he just fell in love. And so he immediately asks Laban, he asked Laban, what can I do to marry your daughter? And Laban says to him, well, honestly, we don't marry off the youngest first. We marry off the oldest. You can have my daughter Leah. And Jacob says, well, I don't want your daughter Leah. I want Rachel. And so Laban says, okay, okay, you work for this long, and when that period is done, 
um, I will let you marry my daughter Rachel. So Jacob does it faithfully, and the Bible says that, that even though it was several years, it felt like just a few days to Jacob. It was, you know, he was just so in love, so awestruck by her. And what happens to Jacob? He's tricked. He goes to marry Rachel, and he ends up marrying Leah. Now, how you can get that mixed up, I don't know. I don't want to delve into the details here, but... What we know is that Jacob was tricked. Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? How does it feel, Jacob? How does it feel to think that you're talking with somebody and then you find out that it's not them at all, it's somebody else? Remember, this is what Jacob did to his own father. Dressed up as his brother, He knew that Isaac had weak eyes and walked in, acted like Esau, received the blessing, and Esau got nothing. So the same thing is happening to Jacob. He agreed to terms with Laban, and he said, I want to marry Rachel, and somehow he marries Leah. And then he goes to Laban about it, and Laban says, well, listen, I told you, it's not our custom. Our custom is that you're supposed to marry the oldest first. So Notice what Laban is doing. Well, I'm just following my custom here. Never mind about the honesty and the cheating. And then he offers Jacob another deal. He says, well, if you work seven more years, uh, then I'll give you Rachel. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't get back into business with this guy. I just, I would be weary. But Laban does end up sticking to his word this time. Jacob works the seven more years, and again, it says that he was so in love with Rachel that even though it was seven years, it felt like just a few days. And so Rachel comes, he marries her. It actually is Rachel this time. And so now he has what he wants. And, and, I, and I read these two stories about Jacob, that he's being exiled out, and then he, he meets a man who's just like him, and, and, and he's tricked. He, tricked, I, I don't know if I like that word. That's, he's manipulated. He is manipulated to receive something and to be taken away from something. And I don't know about you, but I read passages like this, and I, I can have a fallen sense of justice because I read these passages and I think, ah, yes, there we go. There's justice. Jacob is getting exactly what he deserves. Jacob is a manipulator. Jacob doesn't care about anyone in his family. And now what's happening? His family has cast him out. That's what happens. And then he, he tries to go in with another family. And what do they do? They manipulate him just as he's manipulated his family. Jacob's getting what he deserves. You know what Jacob needs to do? Jacob needs to repent. Jacob needs to change his attitude. Jacob needs fixed. How often have we said that? Not about Jacob. How often have we said it about other people? We've looked at other people's lives and, and we know the life they're living. We know the decisions they're making and bad things keep happening and, and our thought is, well, they're just getting what they deserve. You know, and, and, and by the way, that's a reality. That is a reality that if you live a sinful life, you will attract sinfulness to you. 
If you make bad decisions, you're going to be around people that make bad decisions. And so Jacob, this is just the reality that Jacob is living in. Now he's being cast out of his house because of the decisions he made. That's a reality. He's now being attracted to a family that also manipulates just the way he manipulates. But just because that's a reality doesn't mean that's a good sense of justice. Justice is about God making wrong things right. Not just discipline, although that can be incorporated in God's justice, but what's happening to Jacob is just very much he is running into the lifestyle that he's choosing to live. And I'm afraid too many times as Christians, especially if we're Christians that have a good life, and especially if we have a good life that we've chosen for ourselves, we've made good decisions And so now we have a good life. That's a reality that we live in. But how often do we look at somebody who's made bad decisions and say, well, they're just getting what they deserve. This is what happens when you make bad decisions. That's not the gospel. The gospel is offering something even greater. The gospel is offering redemption. Now, what is redemption? In the Old Testament... You have what's called a a kindred redeemer, or you have the time where land is redeemed back into the family. And it's after a period of time that if you've sold your land or your family has sold their land, it goes to somebody else. After a period of time, there is a redemption process that the land will no longer belong to somebody else, but it will come back into your family and you will own it again. When we apply this to somebody like Jacob or anybody that we know in our lives, when God redeems somebody, he sees that they have ownership with somebody else. Well, who is that? Satan, the enemy. God sees that man is being owned and and manipulated by somebody else. And so when God redeems them, he doesn't just say, well, you're getting what you deserve. God takes them out. He liberates them. He pulls them out of that ownership and brings them back into ownership. Who's original? God. Who owned us? God owned us. But we sinned against him and our ownership moved over to the enemy. Redemption is when God says, you don't own him or her anymore. I own him. And so we see that take place with Jacob, and the passage we read today is the beginning of Jacob's road to redemption. I already told you, it it sort of gets better in the next few chapters. There's some ups and downs. Jacob is, is learning, but what's really happening is this is the beginning. The passage that we read is the beginning of Jacob beginning to realize that he has better options in his life than the decisions that he's been making. So I already told you, he's headed out. He's headed towards being manipulated by Laban. That's ahead of him. Before this passage, he's exiled. He's sent out on his own. And notice, he doesn't have a land. He doesn't have a people. He doesn't have protection. His protection from Esau is get out of town and you better hope Esau doesn't find you. He doesn't send bodyguards. He doesn't send weapons. He's all alone. And so Jacob, in his loneliness, is in the middle of this field and the scripture says he picks a rock 
for his pillow. Uh, really what that means is that he found a big enough rock that could fit his body, and he figured for the evening, instead of sleeping on the dirt, I would rather sleep on this rock. Boy, what a hard decision to make. You know, I've been in those decisions where you're at a hotel with a lot of people, and so you kind of decide, well, who wants to sleep on the bed that thousands of people have slept on before, and who wants to sleep on the floor that thousands of people have walked on before? Take your pick. That's sort of Jacob. He's, okay, I can sleep on the dirty, disgusting ground that has animals walking around, or I can sleep on this rock. And he chooses the rock. But as he's sleeping on this rock, he has a vision. He has a, he has a very vivid dream of God speaking to him. And the dream is that the gates of heaven are opened up. That, that not only are the gates of heaven opened up, but there's a staircase leading up. I know some translations say ladder, but probably a more accurate uh, translation of that is steps. And think very much, if you've ever been to a really big church or a really big courthouse, the steps that are leading up to the top, that's sort of what's in Jacob's mind as he's seeing this in his dream. you got these massive steps that are going all the way up, and they're heading up to the gate of heaven. The gate of heaven is wide open, and not only is it wide open, but there's free access. He sees angels coming down the steps. He sees angels going up the steps. And in the middle of this dream, God is standing beside the steps, and he's speaking to Jacob, and he says, he says, I am the God of your father Abraham, of your father Isaac, and I want to be your God. What he offers to Jacob is a renewed relationship in him. And notice, too, he, he's off, also offering the same exact promises that he promised to Abraham, that he promised to Isaac, he's now giving to Jacob. He's going to have a land, he's going to have a people, and he's going to be protected. And all the world is going to be blessed through him. What's Jacob lacking right now in his life? He's been cast away from his people. He's in the middle of a strange land, and he's hoping to get back to his hometown. But right now, he has no land. His brother Esau is ready to kill him, and he has absolutely nobody to protect him as he's headed out. And who's he going to find? He's going to find a wife so that he can have descendants. God is promising Jacob exactly what he needs. And you can tell the most important part for Jacob in all of this is the protection. Because when he wakes up, he, he says, oh, <laughs> this place is awesome, which is kind of an understatement. I mean, he just saw the gates of heaven opened and stairs leading down, but he, he doesn't know how to describe it. He says, this place is amazing. God has been here. And so he sets up the stone and he anoints it with oil, and so he memorializes it. He sets that up so that when he passes through, he can see that stone, and he can remember, he can tell people, that's the stone I slept on, and when I slept on that stone, God promised me a people, he promised me a land, he promised me descendants, and he promised to protect me for the rest of my life. And that's the most important part to him, is the protection. Because when he wakes up and memorializes that stone, 
he makes a vow, which is a really interesting vow. I've got to be honest with you. I'm still not quite sure how to take it, but he wakes up. God promises all of this. He doesn't say to Jacob, Jacob, if you do this, then I'll give you these things. He says to him, I'm going to give it to you. Sort of like, Jacob, I'm going to bless you whether you like it or not. And so it's promised. Jacob's going to get it, and yet when he wakes up, he has the audacity to say, well, well, I know I just saw the gates of heaven opened, and the Lord God who spoke to my grandpa Abraham and my father Isaac, I know, I know he has promised me exactly what he's promised them, and, and if, it's a funny word for Jacob to be using here, if, God fulfills that promise, then I will follow him. Jacob, I don't think you're in a position to negotiate here. This is, you know, God's not throwing you crumbs. God has given you all the blessings that he's given your ancestors, and he's giving you protection. And that's what Jacob seems to care about the most right now. And so even in this situation, I look at it, if it's bad enough that I look at his exile and his manipulation by Laban and say, wow, that's true justice, I now have a problem where I look at the end of this and I say, the audacity of Jacob. To look at God and say, well, God, if, if when you fulfill these blessings, then I will trust in you. But notice God's response to that. It, it's, sort of, it's sort of hidden But you see it throughout Jacob's life because you see that Jacob is protected. You see that Jacob is blessed. You see that Jacob comes back to inherit his land. It's almost like God is stepping back and saying, that's really cute of you, Jacob. Oh, if if I give my blessing, then you will follow me? Oh, okay, all right. God is sort of treating that Not sort of. God is treating that vow that Jacob makes with such grace and mercy. Because God's goal in Jacob's life, remember, is to redeem him. Jacob has given his life over to manipulation. Jacob has given his life over to selfishness. Jacob is giving himself over to the enemy. And God says, I don't want Jacob with the enemy. I don't want Jacob living this kind of life. I don't want these kinds of results in my son. And so God says, I will bless you. And when Jacob says, well, if you do that, then I'll do this, God says, trust me, you're going to do it. Redemption can look really ugly on the outside especially with our fallen sense of justice, especially if we have a sense of justice that says people make their own bed and they lie in it and they get what they deserve. If that's your view of how God works in people's lives, then when you look at him redeeming people's lives, you're going to sit back and go, what was God thinking? But you know, the closer you walk with God in a relationship with him, the more you begin to realize that you were just like Jacob before God spoke to you. 
at one point in your life, you were exiled. You had handed your life over to the enemy and you were living a life that was owned by him. And at some point, God stepped down and said, I don't want you to live that life anymore. I want to redeem you. And so from the outside, we can sometimes look at people's lives and say, you know, they're a Christian? They, they claim to be a Christian, and then you get to know them? You get to know where they've been? You get to know how God has spoken to them? And you think, man, you've come a long way. I've known Christians like that in my life where on the surface, I could look back and say, boy, that just doesn't look like Christian behavior. But then I get to know them and I think that is godly behavior compared to where they came from before. Redemption can look ugly because we all start out as sinners. We all start out in a a situation where we look nothing like God and God begins to use us. And so the disparity between what we look like and what God looks like is so different. But that's part of the redemption process is God is bringing us into a new identity. He's bringing us into a new ownership so that we are changed to look more like him. And like I said, I don't want to spoil things as we walk through the rest of, of the book of Genesis But Jacob's life does get better. It gets so much better that at one point, God says, you are no longer Jacob, I'm giving you a new name. So the goal that God has in our life of redemption is that we would look so different from the life that we came from that he would almost give us a brand new name to signify the new life that we're in. Redemption can look ugly, and it takes time. It takes time for God to redeem us. But this is the gospel message that we offer. That God's goal in our life is that we would be fully redeemed. That we would not look like the life that we had, but we would look like the life that he offers us. He's done this for Jacob. Somebody who's manipulated his whole family is selfish. God is doing that for God has done that for Jacob, and he wants to do that for you. If you've not decided to follow Jesus, I encourage you during our time of prayer, if you would come up uh, and 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 if you need somebody to pray over you, uh, we'll find somebody that can do that. But I encourage you to begin that road of redemption. And if you are on that road, I encourage you to keep going on it because God has more promises for you. Let's pray. God, thank you for redeeming us. Thank you again for that reckless love that you have that doesn't see barriers, that doesn't see roadblocks as an issue, but Uh, a love that is so strong and so powerful that you would do anything to find us. God, we thank you. We thank you for finding us. We thank you for redeeming us. Lord, I pray for anyone here that is looking to be redeemed, that is looking to follow you, Jesus, that you would give them the words to pray to you. 